thank you, worship team, for that. It's a very apt song because I need thee at this hour right now. As I mentioned, uh, we're a little short-staffed today, uh, but you'd think with a church of three pastors, we'd never get quite this low on the totem pole, but you'll be glad to know that I am planning on enacting some advice I was given on uh, what makes a good sermon, which is to have a good beginning, to have a good ending, and to have those two things as close as possible. (laughs) So I'm not sure if I can get the first two right, but I'm pretty sure I can nail that last one there. Let's pray before we get started. Dear Lord, we just uh, come to you this morning thankful for the comfort that we can have in your sovereignty, Lord, the comfort that we can have that you work through weak vessels, Lord, that the the power of Scripture, Lord, is not in, in who's giving it, who's teaching it, Lord, but the power of Scripture, Lord, is in the fact that it is in your spoken word. And I pray, Lord, that the power of your word could be at play this morning, Lord. I pray your spirit uh, can be moving in here this morning and in the hearts of the listeners, Lord, changing lives and making us more like your son. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. The reason I could be a last-minute fill-in for Josh was this sermon was actually uh, prepped for the end of May. I didn't tell anybody this, but I was the emergency backup for Kevin for his last Sunday there, just in case twins came a little bit early. So I was prepped. I was ready to go. Thankfully, Amanda was able to hold off and and Kevin was able to preach that sermon. But the topic was supposed to be a continuation of where Kevin was, uh, which you guys remember back, we were preaching our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And so the timing this morning actually is pretty good still because Kevin is coming back here in a couple weeks. And so he's going to be getting back into the Sermon on the Mount. So this will be kind of a refresher course uh, for where we've been and where we're going to be heading. And for those that are are regulars here, you know that our pattern here at Providence is that we uh, preach through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And I love that approach um, mainly because it helps us make sure to guard against the fact that we don't take Scripture out of context. So instead of jumping into Colossians one Sunday and then going to Ephesians the next Sunday and James the next Sunday, where you can fall risk of maybe not understanding the context of when that letter was written, we build every week, right? So we, we've spent two years in the book of James, and we get to know James very well. We get to know his, his readers, his listeners very well, so we can interpret James much better understanding that context. The downside of that approach that you have to guard against is, for instance, I look back, Kevin started preaching through this Sermon on the Mount, which starts in Matthew chapter 5, back on October 9th. Okay, he finished on May 23rd, so it's about eight months. We're not quite halfway through this sermon yet, the <laughs> Sermon on the Mount. And so, at times, we can miss the forest through the trees, Okay, we can, we can dig in so much that we forget about the fact that this sermon was preached in one setting to the same group of people. Okay? Actually, if you, if you just read Matthews 5, 6, and 7, which cover this sermon, um, in Time Yourself, which I did this week, it's uh, actually probably preached in less than a half hour, which you know, honestly shouldn't be a surprise to us because the best sermons are less than a half hour. Okay, Josh, Kevin, I know you're listening there, so... Take, take heed of that. But the reason I wanted to bring that up this morning is my goal here this morning is a refresher course, kind of where we've been, but also to make sure we realize 
that this sermon was not just a smorgasbord of good teachings. Okay, we're, we're spending a lot of time in here, and there's some great teachings, but there was a structure to this sermon. Okay, there was, there was an overarching theme to this sermon that Jesus was getting across. And the theme is that he was restoring God's righteousness to the level that it was originally put at. Okay? He was putting God's standard of what's expected of us for salvation back to where it should have been. Okay? And I, where do I get this? Well, I want you to open your Bibles today because we're going to be working through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So if you turn to Matthew 5, you can see where I'm getting this right from the beginning. Look at Matthew chapter 5 here. It's going to start the red letter portion. You'll notice when he starts this sermon. And that first section is called the Beatitudes. I mean, you guys remember we, we spent a lot of time working our way through that, actually one Beatitude at a time. But what those are as a group is that it's just simply God right at the beginning of the sermon saying, this is the righteousness of God. Okay? This is the standard that is required for salvation. Okay? These are heart attitudes that should be apparent in the life of an individual who has the Spirit of God in them. Okay? These are fruit of the Spirit that should prove us to be children of God. And don't get this the wrong way. These are not things that we do to become children of God. Okay, it's not in a sense that I am humble and therefore that makes me a child of God. That would get it flipped around there. What these are, these aren't actions that we do. These aren't a checklist that make us children of God. These are evidence that we are children of God. Okay? Fruit, fruit are not what make us. Fruit are what reveal us to be children of God. Does that make sense to us this morning here? So, when, we, when we're looking for evidence to make sure that we have the Spirit in us, these are the heart attitudes that should be the inward makeup of a regenerated soul. So God is, Jesus is at the very beginning of a sermon, he's saying this is, this is the standard, okay? This is what's required of, of a child of mine. And then like any good preacher, okay, and why, why did he have, he, this isn't something new that Jesus created, Okay, this was just simply restoring what God had given in the Old Testament. And we see that here at, in verse 17. If you look at verse 17 there in the bottom of this beginning section, chapter 5. You're going to read here, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And anytime you see the law or the prophets, that's just referring to what we know today as the Old Testament. Okay, so he's saying, I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. This isn't something new that I just gave you. This is restoring the old. And the reason that this was required is that the teachers and preachers of that day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had lowered God's standard down to a level that they could reach on their own. Okay? So God had given them the standard in the Old Testament in the they knew they couldn't do that on their own. They knew they couldn't reach that, so they had taken God's standard. They had reduced it down to a level and made it more of a checklist, right? Okay, if I do this, this, and this, okay, then I can make my own righteousness, right? I can, I can reach this on my own. And this is something I, 
when I was thinking about this, and my mind works in a, in a basketball mentality, you guys will find that out. Um, a way that explains this to me is I'm going to pick on my little cousin Brody. I don't think he's here this morning, so if we stay quiet, he won't even know he was mentioned this morning. But Brad and Jen Schwarzentruber got him a new basketball goal uh, there, and, and he lives right on the highway. So it's, I drive by quite often. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that basketball goal at 10 feet yet. Okay? Every time I drive by, he's got that down at five or six feet. And he's not the only one. I've coached for 12 years, and a lot of my youngsters, when I go to their house, I'll see their basketball go down at five or six feet, even though when we play our games, it's a 10-foot standard, right? That's where they're going to be tested at is that 10-foot standard. I did the same thing when I was a kid. Why? Why do we do that? Well, in my day, I wanted to be Larry Bird, right? I wanted to be Michael Jordan. Today, pains me to say this, but they want to be LeBron James, right? And they know they can't be LeBron James at a 10-foot goal. So they lower that standard down to a level where they can be what they need to be with a lower standard. This is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were just bringing it down to a level that they could reach on our own. God is simply, or Jesus is simply restoring this back to where it originally was put. Okay, so that's the structure. Okay, that's the theme that we see in this sermon right off the bat. First 20 verses, God's laying it out here. This is God's righteousness. Then, like any good preacher, okay, we see Jesus pivot. He's going to lay out his theme here in the verse 20 verses. Now he's going to explain it a little further here in verse 21. And you're going to see some wording. If you look at verse 21 in your Bible there, you're going to notice the wording, you have heard that it was said. Okay, and then if you scroll down to verse 27, there you're going to see very similar wording. You have heard that it was said. Again, I tell you it was said. Verse 33, verse 38, verse 43. You just follow that down. You'll see it throughout this entire section of the scripture. What Jesus is doing is saying, you have been taught... Or you are teaching this. Okay? You have heard that it was said. You are teaching or have been taught this. I'm telling you this. Okay? He's explaining now how their teaching, how their belief system, how their thinking about God is incorrect. Okay? He lays out the standard to begin with. Then he comes and he says, this is where you're an heir in your thinking. And a word we use to describe this is doctrine. Okay, I know that's a, it's a churchy word that sometimes scares us, but all doctrine is is what we think about God and who he is and his relationship with us. Okay, that's doctrine. Okay? Jesus is saying here, your doctrine is wrong. You're thinking incorrectly throughout the rest of chapter 5. Okay? I want us to notice that structure here. Then we're going to see another pivot. Okay? If you move into chapter 6 which is where we left off here back in the end of May, Jesus is now going to pivot on saying, this is where your thinking's incorrect, and now that thinking is affecting your living. Okay? Throughout chapter 6, and when we pick up on this here in a couple weeks when Kevin comes back, he's going to show the heirs in their living out of that doctrine. If you look at the first few section headings there, he's going to talk about where they're an heir in their worship of God, their, their giving to the needy, their prayer life, their fasting. Okay? These are areas of worship where they're living out this doctrine and they're living in air. Then he's going to get into the more mundane 
aspects of their lives. Later on in chapter 6, you're going to see he's going to hit on what they treasure, okay, what, they, what they think about, what they, they give their money to, okay, what, what they give their time and efforts to. Then he's going to get into what they worry about each day and, and the fact that they worry at all. Okay? And then later on, he's going to get into judging other people, how they interact with other individuals. All of this is simply them living out their day-to-day doctrine. Okay? This is their living that's in air. And I don't want us to miss this. There's a reason why chapter 6 comes after chapter 5. What we believe matters. We don't want to fall into the camp that says, as long as we do X, Y, and Z, okay, as long as we go to church, as long as we try to live good lives, as long as we're kind to others and we give to the needy, then it really doesn't matter what we believe. Okay? As long as we're doing the right things, what we would believe really, really doesn't matter. That's completely removed from Scripture. Okay? Chapter 5 comes before chapter 6 because what we think, Scripture tells us that what we think plays its way out in how we live. Okay? What we think about God who he is and his interaction of, with us plays its way out every single day in what we do, okay? or how generous we are, okay? what, we, what we focus our time and our energy and our efforts on, what we worry about, okay? how much we worry. All of that is directly tied to, connected to what we think. The mind is the control center of the body. Okay? So, we've got the structure down now. We see that God listed right off the bat, this is the standard. He's pointed out the heirs and their thinking. Okay, and now he's, getting, he's pointing out the heirs and their living. And that's where we're going to pick up here this morning. All right, We're going to pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 6. And we're just going to preview this living section. I'm going to leave the meat of this here to Kevin here in a couple weeks. But I want to look at verse 1 of chapter 6 here this morning. And this verse reads, if you can see there in your Bible, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So what this verse, the sin that Jesus first starts with, when he's, he's moving into this section on their living, he's going to point out some sins. The one he starts with first is actually not named in this verse. Okay? It is named later in chapter 6, but it is the sin of hypocrisy. Okay? And we all know what that is. right? We've experienced that before. It's doing something for the wrong reason, right? doing something for the wrong motivation. There's, a, there's going to be a word used later in chapter 6 here that describes hypocrisy, and it's the same Greek word that in, in those times referred to actors. And that's really a good, apt picture of this because hypocrisy is playing a part, right? It's pretending to be something that we're not. It's actually done, very similar to actors, it's done for the watching audience, right? It's done with the focus on who's watching, who is our audience here, okay? So notice here also in verse 1, it's not the, it's not the action that makes this evil. Okay? These, are, these are righteous things. 
that are being done. It says, do not practice your righteous acts. Giving to the needy, praying, fasting. These are ways that God ordained for us to worship him. There's nothing wrong with the actions here. But these good actions become evil when done for the wrong reasons. The why matters. And it matters tremendously to God. You can make the argument that it's the only thing that matters. Now, you look back at 1 Samuel 16, 7. God says, the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. God wants our hearts. And that's what he's getting to here in this particular verse. And this isn't the only time in Scripture that he touches on hypocrisy. It's, It's spread throughout Scripture. And we're going to look at a few of these, but the, God's response to it is the same. He hates hypocrisy. Okay, we're, we're going to get a little flavor of this when we read through the scriptures. But I want you to catch on the fact that this is serious stuff to God. Our hearts matter. He wants our hearts. He's not as concerned about our actions. He wants it done for the right reasons. He wants our hearts. So you don't have to turn with me to this, but I'm going to look at Amos chapter 5. Verse 21, and this is God speaking through his prophet Amos, and he's speaking to his Israelite people about the hypocrisy that he sees done there. I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. So again, these are offerings, right? These are grain offerings, burnt offerings, fattened animals. They're songs. These are good things. These are righteous acts. God's not having any of it. If it's done for the wrong reasons, if it's done with an impure heart, he says, leave it. I don't want it. Flip to Isaiah chapter 65. Again, you don't have to turn there, but verse 5, again, God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah to his Israelite people. He says, You who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. You are a smoke to my nostrils. You guys ever had smoke in your nostrils? I experienced this last weekend. I was at Turkey Run camping, and you're, you, know, you get down, and you're trying to get that fire going, and you're, you're breathing oxygen into it, and inevitably that smoke comes back, and it's, it's not a pleasant thing, to say the least. I mean, it's, it's just a burning sensation. So what God is saying here with this illustration is these righteous acts that I've asked you to do, okay, these offerings I've asked you to give me that were supposed to be a sweet aroma to me, if done for the wrong reasons, are smoke in my nose. I mean, that's, that's what God thinks about things done for the wrong reasons. That's what God thinks about hypocrisy. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. If you, if you turn to Matthew 23, and you can turn there just a few chapters later than where we are here. Jesus ministered for three years. Okay? He encountered much sin during that three-year period. He withheld his most scathing rebuke for this chapter right here. And he's speaking to the sin of hypocrisy. And I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's a, it's a long passage. I encourage you to do so if you want to get a, a true flavor 
of how important the importance God puts on this, Jesus puts on this. But I want to give you some highlights here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You are a child of hell, blind fools, full of greed and self-indulgence, whitewashed tombs full of dead people's bones, serpents, broad of vipers, sentenced to hell. He's not softening any language here, right? I mean, this isn't, this isn't a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. This is what we refer to as a truth bomb. I mean, he's just putting it out there for him. And he's speaking to the church leaders. I mean, these aren't just regular folk. He's speaking to the teachers and the preachers. This would be like Jesus coming through the door and he lines up our church leadership group up here and starts just truth bombing them right here. God hates hypocrisy. Okay? There's a reason why he begins this section in chapter 6 that we're hitting on today with the word beware. This is not a sin that we should take lightly. This is not something that God takes lightly. So what do we do with this? Now we know we got a good sense that how the hatred God has for when we do things not for his glory... What are we going to do with this? What's going to be our reaction to this? Well, one thing we could do is we could take this verse very literally, right? We could just simply say, well, it says here, don't do your righteous acts in front of other people. So I'm just going to do all of my righteousness in private. I'm going to make sure that I'm not doing things for the wrong reasons. I'm just going to make sure nobody sees me do these good things. Seems pretty reasonable, right? It seems pretty logical as a response. But is it what the Bible teaches? Okay. Is it even what this particular verse here in verse 1 of chapter 6 means? Well, to determine that, you have to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we only have to go back just a few verses here in verse 16 of chapter 5. If you return back with me to verse 16 of chapter 5, we're going to see... God give a directive here that seems to be directly contradicting what he just said here in verse 1 of chapter 6. Verse 16 of chapter 5, God tells his listeners to let their light shine before other people. Now, what is it, God? What is it, Jesus? You tell us here in verse 16 to let our light shine before others. And then just a few minutes later in the same sermon... In verse 1 of chapter 6, you're telling us to beware of doing our righteous acts before others. Those seem to be two contradicting statements, don't they? They're not, and and here's why. We have to determine what the purpose clause is whenever we see directives like this. So whenever you're reading through the Bible, if you come across something like this, you're looking for key words such as so that or in order to, or therefore. Those are those words that tell us, okay, we've got to perk our ears up here. We're, we're getting ready to be told why he just gave this directive. So let's see if we can find this here in verse 16 of chapter 5. We, it reads here, let your light shine before others so that, okay, those are those words that we've got to perk our ears up. He's getting ready to tell us why he just told us this. They may see your good works and Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Okay, now let's look at verse 1 of chapter 6. See if we can find the purpose clause here. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Don't practice your righteous acts before others in order to, okay, those are those key words. We've got to perk our ears up here. Be seen by them. Okay, so notice that the motive makes all the difference here in these two seemingly contradicting directives. If we're letting our light shine before others to bring glory to God, it's a sweet aroma to Him. If we're letting our light shine before others to bring glory to ourselves, it's smoke in His nose. The motive makes all the difference. The why matters. So how can we tell? We know that one, the same thing's being done here, right? These are righteous acts. So it's not the thing that's different. It's the motive behind the thing that's different. Okay, one of them pleases God. One of them he hates. So how can we make sure that we have pure motives? Well, this is really the million-dollar question, isn't it? This, if the heart is the only thing that matters to God, then we need to be examining our hearts. We need to be making sure that we're doing the things we do out of pure motives and not for the watching audience around us. And this isn't easy, okay? This requires a little bit of effort on our part, but I think Jesus has given us a way to do it here in these two verses. You'll notice in these two seemingly contradicting verses we just read, verse 16 of chapter 5, verse 1 of chapter 6, that Jesus is addressing two separate temptations, I want to show you what I mean by this. So if you look at verse 16 of chapter 5, you notice that Jesus is addressing the temptation to be fearful. So, and we, we all know what that feels like. Right? We've all, I, I had that temptation this morning, honestly, before I knew I was going to get up here. But we've all felt those times where we know we should do something or say something to somebody. Okay? We can feel something in our hearts telling us, I I need to say a word here. I need to do something. But we're worried, right? And and if we're honest with ourselves, it's the fear of man is what we're feeling right there, right? It's that temptation to be fearful because of what other people might think if I say or do that. That's the temptation that Jesus is is addressing here when he's telling us to let our light shine. And then if you look at verse 1 of chapter 6, he's addressing a totally separate temptation, Okay, it's not the temptation to be fearful, it's the temptation to be a hypocrite, right? It's temptation uh, to do things for the wrong reasons. And we all know what that feels like, okay? We've, we've talked about that already. We've all had those moments, okay? I'm going to pick some examples here, and it might make us a little uncomfortable, but we've all had those moments when we've seen a need within our congregation or our community, or maybe just the offering plates getting passed around on a Sunday morning. And, and we give to that need, not necessarily because of the outpouring of care that we have for that individual, but maybe because we want the people that are going to see us give to that need think a little bit more highly of us, if we're honest about it. Or we've had those moments when we're in a group, okay, and, and we're asked to pray, we're asked to pray publicly. And we, we might give a, a holy-sounding, kind of wordy prayer, not necessarily because that's the outpouring of our heart at that moment, 
but because we know that's what's expected of us, right? We know that's what people expect to hear at that moment, or we want to look, appear to be a little bit more holy in front of these individuals. Or we've had those moments, maybe even this morning, that we come to church on a Sunday morning, or we go to a Bible study on a Saturday morning, not necessarily because of an overwhelming desire to worship God okay, and to learn more about Him, but because people will be here. Okay? And they'll either think more highly of us because they see us here, or, and this might hit a little bit closer to home, they might not think less of us by not seeing us here, especially in this community. It might make Sunday dinner at mom and dad's a little easier if we punched the time clock and showed up at church on Sunday morning. Okay? So Jesus is addressing that temptation in verse 1 of chapter 6. So how do we make sure that we have pure motives? Well, we balance the tension between these two competing temptations. And the best way I've heard this said was by a writer, A.B. Bruce, who was addressing this passage of Scripture. And A.B. wrote, We need to show when tempted to hide, and we need to hide when tempted to show. Okay, did you catch that? So when, when we're tempted to hide, okay, when, we're, when we feel that temptation brewing in us a fear of what other people are going to think of us, those are the times that we need to show. Okay, those are the times that we need to be courageous and let our light shine. But when we feel that temptation, maybe to do something because we, we think so-and-so is going to think a little bit better than us, when we feel that brewing inside, that's the moment we need to maybe shrink back, to hide, maybe to do, do those righteous acts out of the limelight. And it's this back and forth, okay? This, this tension is healthy. It's not easy. It requires us examining ourselves, our inner the inner workings of ourselves. We've got to take time to do that. We've got to think, why did I just do what I just did? Okay, that, that takes a little bit of thought and work here. And it's not something you can do once and be good. Okay, this is a daily. This is, and when I picture this, this is like getting on the scales every morning, right? Just to make sure I'm not going too far one way or the other. That's what this is. This is a daily checking of our hearts to make sure we're not falling prey of one of these temptations over the other. Okay? My last point here, conclusion. So now we know Jesus' teaching throughout this Sermon on the Mount is that he's moving the goal back. Okay? He's, he's saying, you guys have been taught this is what's required. I'm telling you, your thinking's incorrect, your living's incorrect. It's up here. Okay? This is where God's standard of righteousness is. And the natural question that comes from that and you may be having that here this morning, and it's the reason probably why the Pharisees lowered the standard to begin with, is how do I meet that standard? I, I know myself. There is no way that I can perfectly display those heart attitudes that you started your sermon with, Jesus. There is no way that I can do things for the right reasons. I know myself. I know I have that fear of man. I can't do it, God. I cannot do it, Jesus. And you know what? You're perfectly right. You're exactly right. And if you're having those questions, 
then Jesus' sermon was effective. That's exactly where he wanted to lead his listeners, to the realization that they couldn't do it on their own. They had been taught, as long as you do X, Y, and Z, you're good. He wanted to lead them to that question, that realization that we can't do it. And what Jesus was basically saying here is, you're right. You can't do it on your own. But I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve for your sins. I'm going to earn that perfect righteousness that you couldn't do on your own. I'm going to meet that standard. It's up here. Okay, This is where it truly is, and I know you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. And then I'm going to take that perfect righteousness that I earned on my own through my perfect sinless life, and I'm going to cover you in it. So that when God sees you, you do measure up. He's going to see my perfect righteousness covering you. And I'm not going to just leave you there. I'm going to, if you put your faith in me, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And it's going to empower you to start to display some of those hard attitudes that I started my sermon off with. You can start to display in your life humbleness, meekness, self-control, a mourning of sin in your life. You can start doing things for the right motives to glorify God. You can start viewing your day-to-day activities through the lens of not what will Johnny or Susie think of me if I do this, but how can I glorify God through this? How can I glorify God through the daily, mundane, day-to-day tasks that I do? And that's a totally different outlook than an unsaved individual, how they view those tasks. That's what the power of the Spirit in you can do for you. It will empower you to chip away at sin in your life. Okay, Those ongoing sins that you just feel burdened by, like you're just carrying them around and you just cannot get rid of them. The Spirit of God can empower you to overcome those. Now, you're not going to win all the battles. Okay? That's not the evidence of a regenerated soul. The evidence of a regenerated soul is that you make war with sin. You're not going to win all the battles, but you are going to declare war with sin in your life, and you're going to attack it with a zeal and a zest, and you're going to see some progress. You're going to lose some battles, but you're going to see some progress there. Okay? So this morning, I just want to end with this. If we want to be in God's favor and not in his wrath, then we can't take comfort in simply doing the right things. I want to say that one more time just to make sure everyone is clear on that. If we want to be found in God's favor and not in his wrath, which should be the goal of everyone in here, right? That's our eternity we're talking about then we cannot take assurance in doing the right things. There is no assurance in the checklist. There is no assurance in being here this morning. God is concerned with our hearts. Okay? And if he's concerned with our hearts, then I'm concerned about my heart. And I'm going to be doing some examination here. So heed this warning this morning. This is, this is a warning passage, and we should be thankful for these. Okay? It starts with the word beware. Let's heed this warning. Let's take this as an opportunity to truthfully examine our lives. I know we get so busy that we're always focused on the next thing. 
God calls us as Christians, and Paul tells us throughout the New Testament, examine your life. Why are we doing what we do? And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, and we find that many times we're doing what we do, not necessarily because we want to glorify God or we want to worship Him, but because we're trying to meet the expectations of those around us. Let's heed this warning this morning. Let's take this opportunity to cry out to God because we can't do it on our own. Take this opportunity to cry out to God to purify our hearts, okay? To cleanse us from within. This is an inside-out thing, to make us holy, to make us more like his son. Don't miss this opportunity this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come to you thankful, Lord, that you do give us these warnings, Lord, that, that you are so concerned with us, Lord, that you don't allow us just to breeze through life, Lord, you know, thinking we're okay when we're honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, Lord, we're, we're just doing the things that are expected of us, Lord. We're, we're not, we don't have that hard attitude, Lord, to, to give you glory in everything we do, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, if we find ourselves in that situation this morning, Lord, that we take this warning seriously, Lord, that we examine our lives and we take this opportunity to cry out to you, Lord, to purify us, Lord, to do your saving work within us, to put your spirit at work within us, to cleanse us from within and make us holy. Lord, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.